needs to be gospel faithfulness. And the reason why this is so important for us is because notice when, when, when the writer here, when, when Luke is writing to us in the beginning of chapter 6, it says, now in those days when the number of disciples was multiplying. And so I want you to realize that it's kind of like he's just giving us information of what's happening. When you read through, you know, from chapters 1 to chapter 6, there isn't some secret meeting that they had. And they put a church program together for church growth. That isn't what occurred. They had one secret meeting and it was in the upper room. Amen. They had, a, they had a meeting in there, and it wasn't secret. It was secret to others who weren't believers, and they sought God's face. God poured out his spirit, and they began to do what? In the power of the Holy Spirit, they began to preach the gospel. And as they began to preach the gospel, they didn't just preach a message. They began living a message. And so what they were concerned with was being faithful to Jesus, being faithful with the purpose with, with which he had, he had given them, the Holy Spirit, which was to be witnesses. And as we look through the book of Acts, you will see that, and, and so far what we have seen is that when God's people are faithful with the gospel to preach it and to live it, say, and to live it, the gospel is not just a message that we preach, but it is a lifestyle that we live. The, by, the byproduct is not just numeric growth, but it is community transformation. What happens is, as the church is faithful with the gospel, as the church in the book of Acts, we see them being faithful to live, being faithful to preach the gospel. What happens is, there is transformation taking place in the community, and as a result of that transformation, God begins to add to his church daily, because what? Because he has people who are being faithful with the gospel. I quoted, I, I, I didn't quote something, I, I, I tweeted something the other, a couple of weeks ago or something, I, I don't remember exactly when, and I said this, I said, woe unto the man to whom the gospel is just a way to get into heaven, but not a way of life. True Christianity begins, it is in the all about, and it ends with the gospel. It is the gospel of Jesus that we must be concerned with. And while we, we must ensure, because we can't just have a message, but we have to be able to relate with the community in which we live. Amen? We have to be able to relate with the people. We have to be able to have conversations with them. We have to be able to dialogue with them. We have to be overwhelmed by the gospel. And I want to say this. The gospel is, is, is supposed to overwhelm our hearts to the degree that we have no choice but to live it. When we look at the gospel, what does the gospel begin with? The gospel begins with God. Say, with God. It begins with him being holy. I told you all a couple of weeks ago, whenever you hear me start talking about the gospel, take notes. This is how you evangelize. This is how you witness to people. It starts with God. It starts with him. It starts with who he is. It is all about him. The Bible starts with who? In the beginning, who was there? God, him alone. It is all about him. And when you talk about God, you are talking about his wonderful attributes, who he is. And let me say this to you. You and I will never fully grasp God. We will never fully grasp who he is. Why? Because God is holy. I didn't say he acts holy. I said he is holy. See, there's a difference. And, and the reason why we'll never really be able to get him is because when we think of being holy, like you and I are called to be holy, we think of behaviors that reflect holiness. Amen? When we talk about God, God is not behaving holy. God is holy. Let me help you understand what I'm saying. What I mean is I can know what the holy thing to do is, which is the holy thing in my scenario is to what? To love my wife as Christ loves the church. Amen? That is the holy behavior. And I learn as I study and apply, well, this is the way I love my wife. Now, here's the thing. There are moments in my life that I do not feel like 
loving my wife as Christ loves the church. Not because she's bad, but because I am. Are you hearing me? Here's the thing. I can do holy actions that don't have holy motives. God cannot. See the difference? Let me, let, let me bring you to another attribute of his that really, that really messes us up. In the, book of, in the book of Ephesians, it tells us, I think it's chapter 3, maybe verse 16, somewhere around there. It's around that area. I guarantee you it's in chapter 3 in the book of Ephesians. And it talks about the love of Christ being beyond knowledge. Being beyond knowledge. And when we think about the love of God, it is, it is hard for us to understand that God doesn't just love. He is love. It is not just action, it is essence. He is love. Let me, let, let me tell you why this is tough for us. Because when we think about loving people, right, there usually has to be something lovable about them for us to love them. Are you kidding me? That's why we're commanded by Jesus, love your enemies. Why? Because we won't. But he does. Are you all hearing me? When, 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 you, when you, the gospel starts with him, God is love, right? God is holy. His standards are higher than ours. His ways are higher than ours. And his love is greater than we will ever fully be able to comprehend. Because here's the thing. He loves me. I don't know about you. I talk about me. He loves me in spite of me. And, and, I, don't, and I don't mean, and when, when I say that, I don't just mean he used to love me in spite of me. Because here's the thing, I still have those same wicked tendencies that I used to have. Now today it's different because I'm illuminated, right? I have a different responsibility. Now the Holy Spirit dwells in me. And by the word of God declaring me righteous, there's a different scenario. But you know what happens? My heart still has issues. My heart is catching, look, my heart is continually catching up. I had this picture, and I was sharing it in my connect group. I said, you know, when you think about God, and this is why the gospel becomes so amazingly important for us. When you think about God and who he is, I want you to just picture yourself for a moment. You know, Paul gives analogies to help us to understand things. He talks about as a fighter beats his body into submission, giving us a picture of someone who fights. He gives us other pictures, and he talks about how, how you know, we're supposed to run this race, giving the, you know, the people who he's writing to, something to really kind of grasp this and, and understand what we're supposed to be doing. So what I would like for you to just imagine for a moment is that you are stuck in like the ocean way far away from shore. And you see the shoreline, okay? Just imagine you were on a boat and it capsized. It'd be a crazy situation, wouldn't it? You have to get from here to there. Now what I want you to get is the shoreline is God's perfection. The shoreline is God's standard. The shoreline is God's holiness. Now, anybody who's ever been in the ocean, have, has anybody ever been in the ocean? Raise your hand if you've been in the ocean. I know some of y'all watch Jaws and you don't like to get in the ocean. But anyway, I, I don't either. But there have been some occasions that I forget about the movie Jaws and I'm just overwhelmed. The day's beautiful and I end up in, out there, right? And, the, and sometimes there's a warning. And the warning is beware of the undertow. Why is that? Because no matter how strong you are, what is going on is the undertow is going to pull. It's called an undertow. It's pulling you out. It's pulling you out to sea. So here's what happens. You and I on a boat, capsized. The standard of God is there in holiness. And here's what I do. You know what? I got to get there. So what, I, what do I start doing? I start swimming, right? As I'm swimming and got my head down, I'm just going for it, going for it, going. And I'm making some progress. I pick my head up, and guess what I didn't realize? The undertow still pushing against me. Guess where the, guess where the shore is? Still way over there. 
This is how it is when I look at the standard of God's holiness. When I look at how, how holy God is, I come to that place and I'm like, wow, man, I, I am so, I've made some progress, but, but look at perfection. Because God doesn't measure based on progress. He measures based on perfection. Are you hearing me? And so this can become very overwhelming, but that's the beauty of the gospel. Because you know what he says? He says, even though my standard is there, I meet you right here, and I'm going to help you get there. No matter where I am in the progress, no matter what is pushing me back, no matter what I am facing, I still realize he's perfect, he's holy, he's righteous. And even though I am wretched and I sin and I fall short, he loves me. In spite of me. He doesn't love me because I'm a great swimmer. He doesn't love me because I always beat my body into submission. He doesn't love me because I am this amazing, you know, runner that can, you know, sprint. And he, he doesn't love me because of all of that. He loves me in spite of all of that because of Jesus. This is why the cross is offensive. Because while the gospel begins with God being good, being holy, being loving, then the gospel brings us to the next part, which is what? Sinful man. It brings us to the place where we are so far from the standards of God. We are so far from that. And if I'm a Christian, I'm encouraged because I know about the next part of the gospel, which is what Jesus declares. But let's pause for a moment. Because the reality is, not everybody that is sitting in this place is a Christian. Not everybody in this place. So you may come to church, that doesn't make you a Christian. I like what one person says. It's like you going into a garage and you becoming a car. You walk into the garage, the garage is the garage, you're still a human being. You didn't turn into a car in that moment, right? And so here's the thing. We are sinful. And because of our sins, our sins separate us from God. Our sins separate us from him. No matter how good we are, we're not good enough. No matter how righteous we are, we're not righteous enough. No matter how many good things we do, we can never outdo the bad. That's the bottom line. And so we are all in the face, in the presence of a holy God, and his holiness does what? It requires that we experience some kind of penalty because of our sin. See, we don't want to hear that part about the cross. Because you know what the cross says? The cross says, I love there's a picture, and I, don't, I, I think it's, it's on, our, it's on our, our page for the, for the, on Facebook. But it's a picture of two, like, cliffs. And one cliff over here is you and your good works and all of this. And this over cliff over here is God and who he is. And there's a cross that connects those two cliffs. And what the cross says is that you can't get to God without it. That's why the cross is offensive. Remember when Jesus was talking to the Pharisees? And he's like, Hugh the Son says free is free indeed. They're like, hold on a second. We ain't been in bondage to no one. Because the cross is offensive. I mean, we're righteous. We're doing everything that the law says to do. No, you're not. Not perfectly. If you were, you wouldn't have to make sacrifices every year to remind you of sin, to remind you how unrighteous you are. You wouldn't have to go through that. And so we come to this place. God is holy. We are sinful. And then the cross comes in, and that's the place where we have to make the choice. And the beauty for us that are Christians, if you're a Christian in here, the cross should excite you because it reminds you of the amazing love that God showed you. If you're not a Christian in here, it's an awesome place for you to be because, let me, let me inform you, it is the greatest picture of God's love towards you. Because you could never earn your way into heaven. I could never earn my way into heaven. I could never get into his kingdom. I could never get into God's good graces. But Jesus does for me what I can't do for myself. And now I no longer live based on my own ability. I don't live in condemnation. If I'm a Christian, I recognize I'm swimming, Lord. You called me to swim, and I can't make myself any more perfect. But you're there with me, loving me in spite of it all. 
loving me in spite of my failures, my inabilities, my shortcomings, my, my desire to sometimes say, you know what, this is just too tough. Anybody ever been there? You know, we just feel like, man, that, that, that standard is just too far, and then life around me is just horrible. Let me just go another direction, and maybe it won't be so hard. And he still loves us in spite of that. And so what are we called to do? We're called to be faithful with the gospel. We're called to be faithful to live the gospel. We're called to be faithful to grow in the revelation of who Jesus is. We're called to be faithful to grow in the revelation of who we are because of what Jesus has done. That is what I'm talking about when I talk about gospel faithfulness. And what will happen is when I get the revelation of who God is and I begin to experience my identity because of the cross and because of what Jesus has done and I begin to embrace the righteousness that I did not earn, as I begin to embrace that, something happens. And it is called a life of worship. And I begin to worship out of an identity. I'm not worshiping trying to get God's approval. I'm worshiping because I already have his approval. Not because of me, but because of Jesus. And so what this church was, and you'll see as we go through the book of Acts later on, you'll see gospel presentations that are clearly pointed out, and God continues to call people to repentance. He continues to call people to turn from their sin and put their faith in Jesus, and no matter how religious, no matter how good they may think they are, they still need the Savior. And our job is to lovingly communicate this to every single person. I love what Ray Comfort says. He says, it is the law for the proud, grace for the humble. And it doesn't mean you got to go up there with, a, with like a javelin, you know, and just like slam. It doesn't, doesn't mean that. It just means you communicate the truth lovingly. And when they humble themselves before God, you let them know there's hope in him. Amen? Now, as we look at the book of Acts chapter 6, we find here, we saw in chapter 5, we saw what I called church discipline. And we saw what God began to do. And as a result of that discipline, something amazing happens. God begins to discipline, and then all of a sudden there is this continual growth. And so we see the church as it is growing. And what happens is God brings growth to the church, but the church must adapt to that growth. God adds to his church, but the church must adapt to that growth. And, and, we'll, and we'll see their adaptation and how they continue to adapt to this growth. But in chapter 6, we see some things that happen. And so repeat, repeat this with me, please. Say, growth presents, growth presents. Challenges, challenges that will either be obstacles or opportunities. Growth presents challenges that will either be obstacles or opportunities. And so we find here, it says that now in those, in those days, when the number of the disciples was multiplying, there arose a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists because their widows were neglected in the daily distribution. So I want you to notice, we see something that any of us, and I know me, I'm sure the leadership, I'm sure you pray, I hope you do pray for your church. God, do as you did, especially since you've been in the book of Acts, do as you did in the beginning and add to your church those who are being saved. Amen? We pray this. And so I know, I know me. I, I mean, again, I can only talk about me. I know when I pray this, I am looking for God to add to his church. I am looking for God to bring people into this place who need him and want to serve him. That's what I'm looking for. And so this is what I want to see. I want to see that the number of the disciples is multiplying. I want to see that. And so this is something that anybody and anyone, I can tell you this because I have plenty of friends that are pastors, church planters, not one of them starts a church hoping that no one shows up. Seriously. Not one of them is like, that is my goal, that no one show up. 
That is never, never, ever the goal. They all want to see what? They want to see multiplication. They want to see people added. They want to see people following Jesus and committing to to, to the ministry that they are heading up and that they are leading. They want to see that. And so we want to see that. But here's the thing. The first thing you see is growth. The next thing you see, friction. So you see growth, you see God adding, you see God doing some stuff. See, because it isn't just that God adds numbers, he adds personalities. Lord, add them, just let them leave their personality at the door. Lord, add them, just let them leave their baggage at the door. Lord, bring them, but let them be perfect. Hold on a second. I thought we were all on the same capsized part of the ocean over here. And we're all trying to swim. But here's the thing. The thing is that there is growth, but then there is also this friction. There is also some difficulty and some things that happen. And I want you to notice where this friction occurs. It is in the place of relational stress. And that relational stress has the ability to totally disrupt what the Spirit of God is doing if it is left, not dealt with, or dealt with inappropriately. This is what we see here. What was the problem? According to what we read here, we see that one group of people had an issue with another group of people. That's what the scripture says, right? The scripture says that the Hellenist had had a complaint against the Hebrews. And so we see a, a, a relational friction. Oh, you know, our widows are not getting the, you know, are not getting the same amount of food. And so here's the thing. What was the problem? Let, let, me, let me tell you what the problem was, and we'll see this in, in a couple of seconds more clearly. The problem, the real issue that was here was that the apostles couldn't do everything. That was the real problem. The problem wasn't the distribution of the food. That was the outward manifestation, but that wasn't the problem. The problem was the apostles were trying to do everything. Look, at this point, most, you know, or some commentators believe that the church could have been near 20,000 members at this time. Now, I want you to think about just a couple of weeks ago, we read and the church was like 5,000 men, right? That's what it said. Dealing with 5,000 people is a lot of people. By, any, by any, any way you count that, that is a lot of people to be dealing with. The church is multiplying. The church is growing. God is adding to the church. And guess what? People are coming in with issues. People are coming in with needs. And, and, and you know who, who are still doing all the work? The 12 apostles. They're doing everything. They're preaching. They're going from house to house. They're teaching. They're praying. You saw Peter. He can't look. Peter can't even walk down the road without people like coming at him like, man, just pray. I mean, this is an amazing move of God, right? The apostles are overwhelmed. And so what happens is they come to this point where it's like, okay, there's something is not being done. Something is not being done. But how does it manifest? Well, here's the problem. The problem is nobody looked. Okay, I want you to notice this. Nobody looked and said, hey, guys, you got, there wasn't a Jethro that walked into the room. Right? That, that isn't what happened. Jethro, remember Moses and Jethro, Moses sitting before the people, and he's over there night and day, and he's like, dude, what are you doing? He's like, man, I'm taking care of the people. You know, they're coming to me. I'm, you know, I'm the man of God. And he's like, hold on a second. You need to go on ahead and make some delegation. And he, he broke. There was no Jethro that walked in the room. Nobody came and told the apostles, hey, guys, you're working too hard. Nobody told them you guys are not going to be. Nobody told them that. They just came and brought the problem to them. They bring the issue to them. How does it come out? Now, now, now look how the issue rises up. It manifests in an apparent racial issue. See, when, when you look at the Hellenists and the Hebrews, for some of you, I'm sure you looked this up or you, you may have heard this before. But here's the thing. The Hellenists were the Greek-speaking Jews. And they didn't just speak Greek, but they had taken on certain of the characteristics of the Greek culture. 
And so, so the Hebrew Hebrews, the ones that were in Palestine, the ones who were in Jerusalem, for those, everybody that came out from that, from that group, they were suspect. Like, I don't know if them people really believe, you know, because they kind of given us some customs that we don't believe in. And so there was that issue that was already there. Jesus comes, dies, resurrects, sends the Holy Spirit. Now the church begins to grow. This group of, 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 of Hebrews over here that have adapted Greek, Greek culture, they're part of the church. And so all of a sudden, they're like, yo, man, this is a racial problem. This is a racial issue. There's a problem here. The reason we're being neglected is because we're the Hellenists and you guys don't like us. That was how it manifests, but it, but it gets even worse because it didn't just come. It wasn't like someone walked up because I want you to get the picture. The picture is, and I showed you this a couple of weeks ago, they were bringing all of the proceeds and everything to the feet of the apostles, giving it to them. The apostles were handing it out as people had need. So it wasn't like someone jumped up in the middle of the congregation and said, hey, man, why y'all ain't taking care of our widows? That would have been cool if it would happen like that. But the scripture says that a complaint arose. A complaint arose. Right? Like they had a complaint box somewhere. A complaint arose from one group to the next. And here's when you look up that word complaint. It comes from the word gugusmos. Say that, gugusmos. It's a Greek word, right? And it means a murmur, a murmuring, a muttering, a secret debate, a secret displeasure not openly avowed. It comes from another word. It's goguso. Say goguso. It means to murmur, to mutter, to grumble, to say anything against in a low tone. It refers to the cooing of doves, of those who confer secretly together, of those who discontentedly complain. And so what was happening? What was happening was no one jumped up. These people were sitting back there, right? And they're watching like, hold on a second. What's going on here? What, what, what? And, and th- th- then they start leaning over to each other and be like, hold on a second. You see, you see they gave her too and they didn't give it. That, that ain't right. Hold on a second. Lean, lean over to the next friend. Hold on. Check this out, man. This, this, this situation don't look right here. This situation is not, this, this is not correct. So the situation that rises up is that we begin to have these conversations, right? They begin to have this conversation that was in private. Now, let me ask you a question. Who do you think is in operation in all of this? Who is it who operates in the dark? Listen, the enemy never wants the lights turned on. He never, because the moment that the lights are turned on, truth is revealed, situations are dealt with. The moment that something is brought to the light, he can't continue to confuse. The moment something is brought to the light, he cannot continue to bring that discouragement or what. He can't continue to do that because what? Because it was brought to the light. Remember, it's all about this relational situation that is going on. The enemy knows where to strike us in relationship. If he can create strife, if he can create division, he can hinder the progress of the gospel into the community. And if you're taking notes, write this down. We must never forget it is not about us, but it is about the gospel. It is not about me. It is not about you. It is not about whatever it is. That is. It is about the gospel. The enemy wants to hinder people from preaching the gospel. That's what he wants. He wants to hinder people from moving forward the way that he's called them to move forward. I was sitting down with a, with, with a couple of pastors, and one of them, he was talking to me, and he said, man, can I just preach to you for like five minutes? I said, sure, man, that'll be cool. And so he said, you know, um, the book of Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 16, you can turn there with me. We're just going to go there because I'm going to preach to you for two minutes. Amen. On this point, because I got a few more to make, but anyway, Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 16, one of my favorite verses. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 16. 
And it says this. And we're actually going to read, you know, we'll just read from verse 12 and we'll read down so you can get some context into this. And it says this. It talks about in verse 11 how he gave son to be prophets, apostles, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. And it goes on to tell you the purpose of this. The reason for leadership is for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry. Notice he didn't say it's to preach to the saints so they can feel good on Sunday. I'm going to let that sink in. It is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. In other words, our job as leaders is to build you up, to send you out. To build you, the purpose, the reason I pray every week that we would not just be hearers but doers is because we can sit in church and we can become obese spiritually. What do you mean? We, we, just, we just become obese. We, we, we're not applying anything. Just eat, 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 eat. I'm saying. The purpose for the leadership in the church, the purpose of the preaching and teaching is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into Christ who is the head, or, or, or into, into, into him who is the head, Christ. Verse 16. From whom the whole body, say the whole body, join and knit together by what every joint supplies, say every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, say every part does its share, causes growth to the body for the edifying of itself in love. Now here's what I want you to get. I was in the gym and I was working out, and when, as, as I was doing this one particular workout, I absolutely hate this workout. It's called hack squats, and I don't know, it just really like puts pressure on my knees, and so I don't like to go all the way down. Well, there's a trainer that works out there. He's not one of the trainers in the gym, but he just works out there, and he saw me, and he's over there working out, and I'm like trying not to look at him. I'm trying not to look at him because I know he's going he's gonna to make a face because he's not with his guys. So, you know, trainers, you know how they are, right? They, they're not training someone. They want to train somebody. They don't just want to work out. So I'm like, he, I'm not going to be his trainee today. Hello. Well, anyway, somehow we made eye contact because I was straining or something, and he looked at me, and he was like, go down. I was like, no. Like, I don't want to go down anymore. And so, the, so, so I'm, I'm, I'm like thinking our conversation is over. No, sir. So I get back to the, to, the, to the spot. I'm waiting a couple of seconds. He sees me standing there looking at my watch as I'm counting. I'm waiting. I'm like, come on, minute, get done so I can get back on this machine. He catches me in between. He says, look, man. He said, when you look at somebody in the gym, he said, here's the thing that you need to say. You don't ever want to say, I want to lift as much as them. He said, you say you want to look like them. There's a reason for this. Different people are strong, different areas, and so you could try to be like, I got to lift that much weight. He said, look. He said, it's not about all that heavy weight. He said, all heavy weight does is messes up your joints. Right? You, you know, you lift too much. He's like, all it does is messes up your joints. That's all it does. He says, you need to work out hard. He said, form is everything. He's, and he t- he's, like, he's like, dude, you will, t- you will produce animal muscle. I'm like, okay. <laughs> I said, yes, I want to, you know. He's like, you know, and so he, he went through his whole thing. So I was like, oh, that's pretty awesome. And I said, you know what? I said, that's a good picture. I said, because lo- working out with these heavy weights is like not depending on grace. Are you hearing me? It's trying to do things on your own, not allowing the Spirit of God to empower you. And and you want to know what always gets affected? Relationships. Why? Because I'm not walking in the Spirit. Because I'm trying to carry loads that I shouldn't be carrying. 
as I had this conversation with Bishop Ray, who was one of the pastors I was sitting down, God just continued to add to this thought. And he said, you know, when you see somebody walking down the road, he said, and you see all those muscles, you're like, man, that dude has a nice body. He said, you know what God says? That guy has some nice joints. He said, God doesn't look at the muscles. He said, God looks at the joints. And he broke it down like this. He said, us Pentecostals, he said, we're notorious for praying God. Give us power. Give us muscles. He said, we won't, we won't talk to one another. Y'all ain't hearing me. God, fill us with the Holy Spirit. But we, we, we're ignoring people. We're not loving one another. He said, listen, according to this scripture in Ephesians chapter 4, the, the most important thing is the joints. We are joined. He said, now, now you go ahead and you, you, you can have someone who be all yoked and all this and that. He said, let him go and get that arthritis. Those muscles will shrivel to nothing. Why? Because the joints are messed up. So do you ever think the issue that comes in, comes in the church and the enemy knows this? Let me hit him in relationships. Let me make, let, let me make problems. Let me bring that. Because if I can hinder that, all those muscles, it don't matter. They can pray for all the power in the world, but if the love of God is not manifesting, right? What we see here in the book of Acts, you can turn back to Acts chapter 6. We see that the church is growing, and the enemy has tried everything. Listen, he tried to threat. After he, after he threatened them, he couldn't stop the preaching of the gospel. He couldn't stop the advancement of the kingdom of God. After he did that, then he locked them up again. This time, he beats them. After he beats them, what happens? Does, does the Holy Spirit stop moving? Do they stop preaching? Absolutely not. They continue to preach. They continue to communicate the gospel. And so now the enemy's like, okay, i got to figure something else out. So while all of this is happening, he brings in this issue, this murmuring occurs, and all of a sudden there is now a problem that is rising up. The next thing I ask you to say this with me, while change is uncomfortable, it is necessary to ensure the health in the body. While change is uncomfortable, it is necessary to ensure the health in the body. So look at what happens in verse 2. It says, Then the twelve summoned the multitude of the disciples and said, It is not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. And so what happened was they started to realize something's got to give. In other words, something has to change. But here's what can't change. We need to give ourselves to prayer and we need to give ourselves to the word of God. That cannot change. We need to continue. That, that is what God has mandated us to do. So we know that we cannot stop preaching. We cannot stop praying. We cannot stop seeking God. But we need to make some changes. Because if not, then we are not going to grow in a healthy manner. So he goes on and he says in verse 3, he says, Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. But we... We'll give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word of God. I love this next verse. Verse 5 says, at least the beginning part of it, it says, And the saying pleased the whole multitude. You know what they realize? They realize, man, that's absolutely correct. We, we, don't, we, we don't need them to do more. We need to get other people to do more. We don't need them to do more. We don't need them to make more house calls. We need other people to position themselves in order to be able to serve. Most people want to see growth. I said that earlier. I've never met a pastor yet that didn't start a ministry without desiring people to show up. Desiring to see growth is a good thing, but it can't be the goal or we will miss the point. However, with growth must come a willingness to change. 
And listen, I want you to take this home in your heart for a moment. I don't mean walk out right now because you won't walk out in a few minutes. But here's what I, what, this is what I mean. I want you to really internalize this. I don't want you to see this as just Bishop preaching through the book of Acts. This doesn't apply to me. I'm going to ask you this question at the end, but I'll ask you it now. Where is it that God is calling you to change? Where is it that God is calling you to change? Let me say it another way. Where is it that God is calling you to serve? Where is it that God is calling upon you to say, you know what? Status quo, not good. It's time to make some changes because God wants to do something. See, all of this is prophetic for what God is doing in the church. And when we're going in the scriptures, God wants to add. He wants to bring people, but you know what he can't do? He can't bring people if they're not people to serve. If they're not people to make disciples, if they're not people who recognize, man, I can't just continue to live how I am. I can't continue to be how I am. I need to hear the preaching of the word and respond to that. See, here's the thing. An unhealthy body is one that is not changing, especially one that doesn't respond to issues that are rising up. Listen, if your body, when you start to feel something or whatever, your body doesn't respond and, and start to counteract that, you know what happens? You get sick. And if it's not taken care of and your body doesn't respond, you end up having to, de to depend on things outside of you, hello, in order to do what your body, I mean, I don't, know, I don't know how many of you have really studied your body, but our bodies are pretty amazing. If you take care of your body, here's the thing, if you take care of it, it takes care of itself, right? It doesn't mean that you're never going to get sick, and, not none of that stuff, because we, we live in a fallen world. But here's, and here's the other thing, no matter how, no, no, no matter how healthy you are, some people, they end up sick just because it just happened. Pastor Frank, he's a really good, really good friend of mine. He's come here and he's preached a couple of times. And his wife, she's like Miss Organic and, you know, all of these different, you know, things. And she ended up with breast cancer. That's just what happened. And, I mean, she was like, you know, Pastor Frank, he doesn't follow her lead, right? He just eats, you know, however he wants to eat. He's always traveling all over the place. I'm, I'm, listen, what I'm saying is... He's not, he's not sick with anything, you know, but she's the one who's like, you know, eating vegetables and doing all of this and, you know, she's trying to be healthy and she ends up. So here's the thing. We live in a fallen world. Things are going to happen. It's the same thing. In a church, man, you got people that are prayerful, people that are in relationship, people that are in community. People, you, you can have all of that and still end up with some things that are unhealthy. Because we live in a fallen world. And the more, listen, the more that God adds to the church, the more that God brings to the church, you want to know what's going to happen? There will be more issues that will have to be dealt with. Here is the question. Do you deal with them or do you ignore them? The worst thing you do, my wife, she got sick on Monday, and I was like, babe, you need to go to the doctor. And at first she thought it was just something normal, and then she was like, nah, man, I, after like Wednesday or something like that, she realized she needed to go to the doctor. And if she wouldn't have went to the doctor, she wouldn't be sitting here today. She was, you know, the, when these issues rise up, how do we respond to them? Well, the way the apostles did it, they said, okay, let's measure this real quick. Let's look at this. He, they said, we need to make some changes, but these are the things that, need not, that, that, that do not need to change. As leaders, they were decisive. They were prayerful. And you know what the beauty of this is? This is the encouragement. The encouragement is that we need to be a, pe a people who live a prayerful life. And not just a prayerful life, but a life that is in the word of God. Because notice, they didn't have to hear the complaint, right? I mean, think about this for a moment. They didn't have to hear the complaint, and they go and have, like, you know, a six-hour dialogue in an elders' meeting. Well, how are we going to deal with this issue? That didn't what happened. They were like, look, this is not going to happen. This is what needs to happen. Let's move forward. And then you know what he does? He calls the church to accountability. He says, now, y'all, you pick the people. 
You pick the people that are going to serve. Now, he didn't say, you pick them and just let them go serve. That isn't what they said. And then we're going to pray about that. Make sure y'all picked right. Glory to God. Because, you know, sometimes you go, man, that dude is cool, man. I want him to be. It don't matter. It could be the wrong one. I've seen, I've seen it happen too many times. The popular one gets the vote. It wasn't the right one. I'm saying. The, pop, the, the one that, 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 that is the most outgoing, the one who has the most following, that, of course that's the one that's going to get the vote. Doesn't mean it was the right vote. I'm talking about church, y'all. I ain't talking about politics. Hello. <laughs> Glory to God. I'm Listen, seriously. It probably happens in politics too, but anyway, I'm talking about church. He tells him, look, you go and you pick someone who's what? Someone who has a good reputation. First thing, character. Got to have character. Someone who is filled with the Holy Spirit. You got to be gifted. And, and, and not just gifted, say this with me, born again. Not just someone who's got a good reputation, because you'd have someone who has a good reputation and does all kind of good stuff, but they need to be born again. They need to be filled with the Spirit. And he said, and wisdom. So that means they had some ability, right? So these are people who had a good reputation. In other words, people knew you. It wasn't just someone who just walked in the door, right, and said, hey, man, I like the way that guy talked. No. It's people that knew you, had relationship. I was having a conversation with Jedediah, and I loved it. We were talking, and he's, you know, encouraging me, and, you know, we're having a great conversation. And he's like, look, I just want to let you know, man. He said, I just, you know, I, w- I want to just grow. You know, I want you to get to know me and stuff like that. He's like, I'm not hungry for positions or anything like that. Amazing guy. And you know what? For me, I, I share that because that has to be the right heart. You have other people that are walking to church that are gifted, been in church for a long time. Immediately, they want to be put in a position. Immediately, they want responsibility. But here's the thing. He says, you choose. You go ahead and let me know who you think can do the job. You know what they did? They chose seven people, and, and, and all the commentators say this. These were seven people that were under the Hellenist camp. So they said, we want to make sure that we're going to get seven people that are from this other group, you know, the one that had the complaint, right? We're going to get seven people from here so you can be sure that things are going to be right. But even though you're going to pick those seven people, we're going to pray about it. The apostles prayed about it. After they prayed, laid hands on them, and they continued to move the ministry forward. Continue reading with me in verse 4. It says, but we will give ourselves over ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And the saying pleased the whole multitude. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit, and Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch whom they set before the apostles, and when they had prayed, they laid hands on them. And so the apostles took the moment. They said, okay, these are the people you brought before us. We'll pray, get a witness from the Spirit, and now we're going to lay hands on them, and we're going to send them forward in ministry, and that's what they did. And verse 7 is the verse that gets us to the point. It says this. It says, then the word of God spread, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly. Say greatly. Now, notice in the beginning, it says, now in those days, it's in verse 1. Now, in those days when the number of disciples was multiplying. So you go from multiplying to then after these changes are made, after structure is established, then we see what? We see that they are multiplying greatly. Because what? Because God is saying, when these changes come into our hearts, when these changes come into our lives, when we make the right decisions, when we follow God's leading, when we address the issues that are there, and you know what happens? We're going to see the word of God spread because, remember, it's not about me. It's not about you. And so here's the question. Again, I said I would ask this, and I'm closing. But here's the question. Where is God calling you to change? Where is he calling you to change? Where has he been telling you, listen, you've been comfortable for long enough. Where is he saying that to you? 
Where is he saying you need to change that? Where is he communicating that you need to humble your heart before him and say, God, I hear you calling. I hear you calling. And I need to allow you to bring change to my heart. Not just change because I have to do some things. Change because I get to be part of what you're doing. Change because I get to be part of, which will bring you to the place where you and I are called to serve. Here's the bottom line, church. It is time for us to recognize that business as usual is not acceptable. There are people that are dying because they need the gospel. And, you know, I've been so blessed in these last few weeks, and and I'll close here. And I just want to encourage you for a few moments. I've been so blessed because um, a couple of weeks ago, we started, about a month ago, I started to send out emails to all of the people who are first-time guests for those who put their email address on the card. And, um, and we sent out the emails, and I don't send them to the whole church, but I do send the, the responses to the leaders. And on that email, we just ask a couple of questions. You know, we'll say, you know, we hope your experience was good, and, you know, um, you know give us some feedback. And that's our goal is we want to hear from people. How were their lives impacted, you know, and things like that. And I've been so very encouraged by every single email and you know I'm, there, there was not every single person has replied so maybe there was some negatives there and that's fine there's going to be that but I've been so encouraged because I see what God is doing in you as a church people are blessed because they, they feel warm they, they feel a warm welcome when they come into the house which is so important a long time ago we were talking about this you know it's important for us to make a big deal about the guests that come it's important that we go out of our way and that we say hello, that we, you know, make them feel welcome. That way it's not just totally awkward when they're, you know, sitting in here like, you know, no one cares, right? But it's more than just being friendly. I love this statement. One of my close friends says, he said, you know, people aren't looking for a friendly church. They're looking for friends. They're not just looking for people to be nice to them. Because you can get nice. I mean, I've, I've, I mean I've, I've heard stories, but I haven't been to that church, okay? That church that, you know, people are just mean to you. And I've been to places where they're not so outgoing or whatever the case may be. But here's the point. The point is, you can get nice in a lot of places. You can get friendly in a lot of places. But can you find a people that you can become part of? Can you find a people that you can become part of that body? Because here's the thing, and we've been preaching this, and we've been communicating this as we're going through this book, Community. Jesus didn't just die to save us to himself, but to redeem us to one another. He died to bring us into community because that is how we grow. That is why the enemy wants to destroy that. And so I've been, I've been so encouraged by the things that I've heard. And so I encourage you, continue in your love for Jesus. Amen? Continue to serve him faithfully continue but if you're in here and you know God is saying things have to change please repent change turn don't continue on be part of what God is doing be part of what the spirit is doing in these days God wants to use every single one of us to make great impact in our community by the power of the gospel but one place and one way that it starts is by us being together it is by us being one notice the church continued to be one they continued in prayer. They continued in the word of God. They, and, and you know what? The power of God manifested. But relationships were strengthened and not destroyed. Amen? Come on and stand to your feet and bow your heads with me today. And I want to open up the altar.